Happy Easter. Hey, has anybody ever told you something that you just could not believe at first? Uh, maybe one of the best ways to think about this is, I, I think sometimes it happens a lot when we hear hard news or even tragedy. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, this past September 11th, uh, I was just thinking back about September 11th, 2001, and I remember, like, like many of you watching the news that day, I thought, I wonder if you can watch like a video of the actual news that day. And sure enough, thanks to the miracle of the internet, you can. So you can go to YouTube and they just have like six hours straight of just uninterrupted news footage. And so for a week or two, I spent a little bit each night and I would just watch the, the news of how it unfolded. And one of the things that just shocked me is the newscasters just literally could not come to the conclusion that it was terrorism. It was just too shocking. And so the first plane hits the first tower, and they're going, what was that pilot thinking? Like, he just, he, how did he not see the tower? They just think it's air. And then even after the second plane hits the second tower, on the news, they're like, something is wrong with air traffic control. Like their guiding system or something is off. The real news was just too hard. It was too bad for them to even comprehend. Well, today, I actually want to talk to you about the opposite of that. There can be a time when news is so good that it's actually hard to believe. And I want to show this to you. So it's in the Bible. So everybody grab a Bible. There's a Bible in the chairs in front of you. You can lean over, grab one. I want everybody to be looking at God's Word. If you don't want to touch a Bible, you can use your phone. You can just use the Renovation Church app, tap Bible and weekly verses. But everybody look at the Word of God this morning. Uh, If we go back a few days uh, before Easter, Jesus is killed. He's crucified on a cross on a Friday. Uh, he breezes last about 3 p.m. on a Friday, and he's in the tomb by sundown on Friday. And we're going to fast forward to what's going to happen now on Sunday morning. So we're page 722 in the Bible. I don't know if I said that yet. Did I, did I say that? I did not say that, but I bet I said that last service. Uh, it's just all melding together for me right now. Okay, page 722. And when you get to page 722, uh, you're going to look for a big number 24, and that's where we're going to start, right at the beginning of a chapter 24 in the book of Luke. Okay, here's what it says. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Now they're going to quote what Jesus said to them. He said, The Son of Man, which is just a title Jesus had for himself, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Okay, let's pause there just for a minute. So some of Jesus' female followers, they go to the tomb. And they go to the tomb, not because they're expecting him to be resurrected. They're actually, it says they're bringing spices. They're just going to, as is their custom in that culture, prepare the body for, for burial. And when they get there, they realize, oh, the stone has been rolled away. This is incredible. And all of a sudden, two angels appear to them and tell them that, they say, why do you look for the living among the dead, which is a great line. Now let's watch what they do once this happens. So uh, look back at your Bible. Uh, Now we're going to continue verse 9. 
says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. That's the, Jesus used to have twelve disciples, and now there's eleven because Judas betrayed him. And to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and if you, if you can never remember anyone's uh, name in the Bible, just guess Mary. There's like 400 of them. Uh, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, if you keep reading in the book of Luke and in the other gospels, other stories of Jesus, you see that eventually the resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples. And shockingly, even when he appears to them face to face, they're still not 100% sure they believe it. And there's this really curious phrase in the scriptures. It says that they still were not quite sure because of the joy and amazement of seeing him again. So it's kind of like they were thinking, this is so, so good that it's hard to believe. But eventually, as we know, because they absolutely changed the world, they do put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if I can, what I want to do is I want to show the progression of their faith journey, because I think it's a progression that a lot of us go on. Uh, here's what I see in Luke chapter 24, especially through the disciple Peter. So start in kind of this nonsense phase, right? They say it's nonsense. They move to hope. They move to examining the evidence. And then eventually they move to faith. So we're going to start with this a nonsense faith. I, I just want a phase. I want, to, I want to walk you through these different steps in the progression. So let's talk about nonsense because maybe a few of you in this room, that's where you're at right now. Like maybe your friend or your family member dragged you to church this morning. They're like, it's Easter Sunday. You're coming with us. And here you are. But honestly, in your head, you're like, I don't, this is like nonsense to me. I'm not into this whole Jesus thing and the resurrection and, and just, no. Okay, well, that's fine. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. So in our passage, the women who were followers of Jesus, they report to the disciples. They say, hey, we saw an angel. The tomb is empty. And the disciples look right back at these women and they say, nonsense. Now, I think this is actually really helpful that the Bible records their level of doubt here. Because these guys, these disciples, the 11 of them now, are the main followers of Jesus. In fact, for the last three years up to this point, they spent every day with Jesus. They've seen all of his miracles. They heard all of his teachings. And for, what, over a thousand days over the last three years, they experienced his friendship, his love, These guys love Jesus. If there is any group in the entire world that wants Jesus to be alive again, it's these guys. And yet, when the women come to them and they say, we we saw some angels. Uh, uh, He's not in the tomb. They look at them and say, nonsense. Why? Why would they say that? I'll tell you why. It's because the disciples are regular, good-thinking, naturally skeptical people, just like you. They're normal people. Okay, put yourself in their shoes. I want you to think about this in real life. Let's say your best friend or maybe your parent or even your spouse died three days ago. And it's tragic in your life. I mean, you miss them more than anything in the world, more than anything, you just want to see them again. 
So let's say it's been three days, uh, you're at the funeral. The funeral's just about to begin, you're getting ready to go inside, and somebody runs up to you, and they say, you're never going to believe this. I just saw an angel, and your spouse or your parent or whatever it is, they're alive again. Now, if that happened to you in real life, what would you do? I Personally, I would punch them in the face. Uh, don't judge me. Some of you are like, oh, that's, you're a pastor. I'd like you stop it. Okay, maybe you're not as intense as I am, but certainly you would look at them and you'd say, no, please, that is so inappropriate. It's just nonsense. People don't rise from the dead. Please stop. Well, see, the disciples, they're just regular people. People don't just rise from the dead, right? And so they're going, no, stop, no. It's just it's nonsense. It's not happening. And I, I just love, this makes me believe in the Bible even more. Because the Bible is just recording history of what happened. It, it, it's not just making up this story. If they're making up the story, they'd say, and then, of course, the disciples believed right away. But they didn't. They thought it was nonsense. But something starts to happen in them. And it happens in Peter first, and eventually in the rest of them. And hope starts to rise, and it starts to peek its head through this layer of nonsense. And that's really the second phase of this faith journey that a lot of people go on. We start kind of in nonsense, and then hope starts to kind of peek through. So look at verse 12 again, if you still have the Bible in front of you. And look at Peter. It says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Now you're going to see, as we progress in this passage, Peter doesn't actually fully believe yet, but hope has begun to arise in him. And I find that there comes a time in a lot of people's lives where this happens. They're like, I don't know about if I'm a believer in God, but something happens and hope starts to peek through. You know, I think for a lot of people, this happens in like major life stages. Uh, One example of this is when people have their first child. What you'll see with a lot of people, they'll go, this is just, this is like, it's a miracle. And something will happen in their lives again. They'll say, like, I got I to gotta get back to church. I, I want to find God again. You know, the other place that I see this happen is when tragedy happens in someone's life. Right? They get in a car accident, or they lose a loved one, or they get diagnosed with cancer, or they're just getting buried under addiction. And deep within their soul, they just start to cry out, and they say, God, where are you? Are you there? I'm not even sure that you make sense to me, but honestly... I just, I need you. And there's this hope that starts to break through. I vividly remember when this happened in my life, when hope started to arise. So uh, for the first 18 years of my life, I was not a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I grew up in rural Minnesota. And in those days when I was growing up, especially in rural Minnesota, everybody went to church in town. It was like kind of awkward and weird if you didn't. And so I went to church kind of like everyone else, but I assure you I was not at all interested in Jesus Christ. In fact, by the time I got to high school, I even mocked and persecuted people who were following Jesus. Well, December of my senior year of high school, in this incredible moment in my life, I thought, I need to read the Bible for myself. I've never read it. And I started reading through the book of Matthew, learning about Jesus. A few months after that, uh, what was happening is in my small little town, a number of area churches were coming together to put on a play about the crucifixion of Jesus, and somebody asked me if I wanted to be in the play. Now, to this day, I still have no idea why I said yes. For a couple of reasons. A number, I mean, it's just the hand of God, I guess. 
number one, uh, I didn't even like Jesus, so why am I in a play about Jesus? And second of all, I was so not into like plays and drama, and maybe you are, and that's great, but I was just a big like sports guy and in high school, but whatever, it's God's plan, and for some reason I say, sure, I'll be in this play about Jesus. And listen, the play was powerful. Um, I was an extra in the play. Uh, my line was, uh, crucify him, uh, which... <laughs> I delivered powerfully. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, but what I vividly remember was before every practice, and we practiced like three or four times, we would pray. And they'd gather everybody around the circle and they'd say, all right, we're going to pray. And I was ready because I knew one prayer. And the prayer that I knew was, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's what I knew, right? That's like when you say prayer, that's what prayer was to me. And I will never forget this. We start to pray, and this, this woman, she goes first, and she says, Jesus, Lord, be here tonight. We just need you. God, we need you to move through this. And the people around the circle, there was a, it was a bunch of different churches. There were some charismatic churches there, and so the people were going, mm-hmm, yes, God, mm-hmm. And everyone, and she's just praying with such passion. And everyone's got their eyes closed, and they're mm-hmm-ing. And meanwhile, my eyes are wide open. I'm going, what is this? What is happening right now? But I can still feel it to this day. In that moment, hope started to just puncture through this protective layer of nonsense that I had been wearing. And I just thought, I'm sitting there looking at all these people, and I thought, what if this is real? And Jesus is real. And he really did dying across from my sins and rise from the dead, because it looks really real for these people. And I would say to you, if you're kind of in this hope stage and there's any part of you that's going, I kind of, I need this to be real. And what if it is real? I encourage you to keep moving on that spectrum. Start seeking out the truth. It's never going to go bad for you if you're looking for the truth. God says, if you seek him, you will find him. And that leads us really to the next part of the faith journey for many people, and that's evidence. So you start kind of in nonsense for a lot of people. We move to hope. Something's happening. You're going, man, this is real. And then next, you begin to examine the evidence. But think about Peter. So Peter, in our passage, he has some hope. He's like, maybe it's true. But he doesn't just like run around the house or run to a field of lilies and go, I'm just hoping, I'm hoping. Right? No, he, he runs to look at the evidence. He wants to see if it's actually real. So look at the, look at the beginning of, of verse 12. It says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. So he's in the empty tomb. He's examining the evidence. He sees, okay, there were these strips of linen. They were around the body of Jesus. Now they're just lying there by themselves. And the evidence is moving him ever so closer to actual faith. And that's where the evidence should point you. I'll say something that maybe some people won't say to you. Listen, if there's no evidence for Jesus Christ, then do not become a Christian. Do not give your life to Jesus Christ. There should be evidence behind this. I don't believe Christianity is this thing where you just check your brain at the door. The evidence should point to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I think evidence, this stage of examining, examining evidence, looks different for different people. For some of you, evidence is what you see in other people. As you're thinking more seriously about just giving your whole life to Jesus, it's you're looking at other people and you're going, okay, 
uh, do I see change in them? They say they're a follower of Jesus. Do they, do they look like them? Is, is God moving in their life if God is real? But still, for others of you, you're the type of person that you love podcasts, you love reading, you want to actually study the evidence. And you're in the spot where you're going, I'm not sure this whole Jesus thing is real, and yet historically, something happened and it flipped world history upside down. And so there's something there. And if that's you, I would encourage you, study it. Actually look at the evidence. And look at both sides. I think we all know that there are millions of videos out there of people just saying, you know, God is not real or God is just some flying spaghetti monster or whatever. But look at the other side of it. Examine the evidence for Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll give you four things that you can do. And you can pick one of these if you just want to look for the very first time or even if you're a Christian and you want to know the evidence of Jesus more deeply. Now, here's four things. You can write this down. You can take a picture of this. You can even go back on the podcast and check this later if you want number one, take a Bible with you. If you haven't actually read the Bible, don't be like me when I was younger. I just said, oh, I know what the Bible's about. I had no clue what the Bible was about. The Bible that you're holding right now or it's under the chair in front of you, that is our gift to you. We want you to take it. There's a little reading plan in there that'll show you where to start. Take that with you and start examining who Jesus actually is. And number two, we did a teaching series a few years ago, and if you go to the website, renovationchurch.org slash reason dash to dash believe, you'll find a whole teaching series where I actually talk about the evidence, the real evidence for the resurrection, among other hard topics that we discussed. Uh, number three, I want you to check out, this is one of my favorite websites of all time, it's called gotquestions.org. If you have a question about God or the Bible, I can pretty much guarantee you that they have answered it. There are thousands upon thousands of answers to difficult questions that people have about God, the Bible, and Christianity. And then number four, if you really want to dive in deeper, there's great books about this too. Uh, one of my favorites is Case for Christ uh, by Lee Strobel. And uh, if, if you don't like reading, I'm pretty sure they made a movie about it too, so you can just, you know, just skip to that, some of you. Okay, so what do you do if you're examining some of this stuff and evidence is starting to lead you a bit more towards faith? That last part of the spectrum but at some point, you've got to make a decision to believe. One of the things that's interesting about the Bible is the Bible always uses the term faith. The Bible does not say, okay, once you know without a doubt, become a follower of Jesus. It says, have faith. One of the things I think is most fascinating about our scripture passage for today is even after Peter sees the evidence of the empty tomb it still says, look at, if you have it in front of you, look at the last verse of, the, of our passage, verse 12. It says, Peter went away wondering to himself what had happened. And I, I read that and I go like, really? Really? <laughs> You're in the empty tomb. And I think, Christian, I, I would say this to you. Don't be so hard on yourself just because you have some doubts. Peter was walking around in the empty tomb and still had some doubts. I think a lot of people don't understand this. Faith and doubt always have to coexist together. Faith without doubt is certainty. It is not faith. So if you're going to have faith, you're going to have some measure of doubt. Uh, we often explain this this way. I've done this maybe once before in the history of our church, but I think it's so helpful. I'm going to show it to you again. I want you to imagine that this stage is like a continuum. 
And if I walk all the way over to the edge of the stage, let's say this represents, all the way to the end of the stage, this represents 100% certainty that you know Jesus resurrected from the dead. Like, you were there. You saw him rise from the dead. You know without a doubt, it is fact. You don't even need faith. You saw it. He resurrected from the dead. Now, pretend this is a line. It's a continuum. If that's 100%, let's say the far end of the other stage, at the other end of the stage, is 0%. So you're saying there's a 0% chance that Jesus resurrected from the dead. In fact, you were there. You saw them fake the whole thing, and you've seen his dead body. 0% chance it happened. Now, the question for every single human on this planet is, where are you on this line? 100% true, 0%. There's not a person in here that can possibly be at 100 or 0. It's not possible. You're not an eyewitness to it. So where are you? You know, I put myself, as someone who's looked at the evidence a lot, and I, I experienced Jesus in my life, you know, I'm here. But I, I don't, I'm not a... I'm not an eyewitness. I'm not at 100%. And so notice that if I'm going to say, I'm, I'm giving my entire life to Jesus Christ. I believe he died for me. I'm going to become his follower. I have to believe in faith. I have what you would call a leap of faith to get there. But let me tell you what I think very, very few people understand. is the Here's what, here's what happens. A lot of people, especially in America, we have kind of a at least Christian historical roots, right? So people are familiar with Christianity. They start looking into the Bible and Jesus, and they get about here, and they go, you know what? I have got some doubts. Like, this doesn't make sense to me about God. Why would God do this? Well, I read this in the Bible. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, well, I'm, I want to, yes, but I have some doubts. And they get here, and they say, you know what? My doubts are this. I'm not going to become a Christian. I'm not going to follow. And we just stop, and they say, that's not who I am. But what I think people don't understand is that the leap of faith goes both ways. So you don't just get to say, oh, yeah, I have some doubts, so I'm not going to be a follower of Jesus. You have to turn around and say, but what about this? Look at this. That, that is an absolutely ginormous leap of faith to say that you don't believe Jesus is real and he resurrected from the dead. In fact, if you're going to be intellectually consistent, then you need to doubt and look at your doubts of the non-Christian narrative as well. And what is that about? Because I will tell you that the world out there, the non-Christian world, says that you are an accident. Now, if you want to be logically consistent, it says you're an accident. Now, there are a lot of people in America, we, in our postmodern world, we mix and we match all sorts of beliefs just to make them what we want, right? And we say, oh, okay, well, I don't follow Jesus, but I believe that I have purpose and meaning and worth. You know where all that stuff comes from? Purpose, meaning, worth? It comes from Christianity. Like, if you read a really good atheist, a consistent one, they will tell you that there, there is no purpose to your life. They will tell you you are a random pointless product of an accidental universe. You are just a pile of atoms. And you're a pile of atoms that has no more value than the chair that you're sitting upon. And therefore, there is no purpose or worth or meaning to your life. 
Now, I would bet that when you hear that, that perspective, that there's a part of you inside of you that wants to say, nonsense. It's just nonsense. I don't believe that. I just know that isn't true. And I would say to you, you have to remember that the leap of faith goes both ways. And your decision is which way are you going to jump. And so if you're here and your heart is starting to pull more towards Jesus and maybe hope is breaking through and you're looking at some of this evidence, I just want to tell you, giving your life to Christ is so worthwhile. I just want to tell you what what Easter is really all about and what Jesus' message is. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth as a baby, born of the Virgin Mary. And at 30 years old, he began to travel. He began to teach and do miracles. And three years later, God allowed him, and Jesus went willingly, to be crucified and killed on a cross. And if you're examining Christianity, one of the most important questions you have to ask for yourself is, why did Jesus die? Like, why couldn't, if he's the Son of God came to earth, and he, if he was just like a good teacher, a lot of people say, oh, he's a good teacher. So, okay, so why didn't he just live like a really long, wonderful life, and then at the end of life just, I don't know, either die in his sleep or rise back to heaven? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, the Bible very clearly teaches that in dying, Jesus was paying the penalty for your sins. And that is because it says God is, God is not a pushover like we like to draw him in our culture. God is a holy God. And there must be justice for our sins. God does not laugh at sin. He does not look lightly at sin. There must be justice for our sins. But God in his deep love for you sent his own son, Jesus, to earth so that Jesus would die on the cross in your place. So when Jesus was dying, he was dying for your sins. Here's how the Bible teaches it. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, in the New Testament. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, he was perfect, to be the offering for our sin. That means he's going to take your place so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So when you believe that Jesus died in your place, it's like the punishment for your sins that should be on you transfers off of you and onto Jesus, and you get the goodness and righteousness of Jesus onto you so you can be made right with God. And you can be saved from your sins. Elsewhere, Romans chapter 10 in the New Testament, it teaches this. If you declare with your mouth, so it doesn't say, look, once you get your life together and you get off drugs and you kind of get your marriage back together. It's not about being good enough to go to heaven. It just simply says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, you're going to take that leap of faith that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You're saved not by what you do, but by your belief. And that is the promise of God in scripture. And if you do that, you say, God, I, I'm jumping. I believe that you died for me. Not only will he come into your life, but you will be forgiven so that you can have eternal life in heaven with him. But if you do not believe, you go, ah, I just, I'm sitting here and I got some doubts still and I just, I'm not going to let Jesus be like the king of my life. I just, I'm going to do my own thing. And you say, I don't worry about it. I'll be fine. I would ask you, well, what about your eternity? 
Sometimes I'll talk to people about this. They'll say, oh, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of him. I'll say, but what about when you die? Like when you go to heaven or hell, how do you know where you're going? And I find nowadays in our postmodern world in 2021, a lot of people will just say to me, I'm going to heaven. And I'll say, well, how do you know that? And they'll say, well, I just think about God and he's a loving God. And so I just know he's going to let everybody into heaven. My friend, the Bible does not teach that God is just going to let everyone into heaven. Not at all. Please do not go with just what you want to be true. Do not, I just, I plead with you so desperately. Do not risk the next million, billion, trillion years of your existence on what you want to be true. You have to examine the evidence. Your eternal life depends on it. Examine it. Look at it. And Jesus so clearly teaches in the Bible that if you reject his lordship, you don't turn your life over to him, you don't believe he died for you, you don't make that leap of faith, then what happens is that sin, it doesn't go on him. It's still on you. And then I am telling you through tears that if it's still on you, then you have to pay for it. And that's when you'll spend eternity, forever and ever, in hell, paying for your sins. Where if you just would have said, I believe in Jesus that he died for me, I'm making him the Lord of my life, he'll take it off of you. This is why Jesus came. It's why he resurrected from the dead so you can have a relationship with him and he will forgive everything you've ever done. It doesn't matter what you've done. He can forgive it. And so I just encourage you, wherever you are on this spectrum, take a next step. And maybe it's just to keep looking. Let the hope start to build. Start to look at the evidence. And maybe for some of you, it's just to keep coming back here every week. We teach the Bible at this church. So next week, we're just going through the book of Luke as a church. And you're going to learn a ton about the Bible and God if you just keep coming back. For some of you, it's to start to look at the, that evidence. But I believe there are probably a number of you in this room that you just you need to let God save you today. To say, I'm, I'm making the leap today to let him forgive my sins. And honestly, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You could be dead tomorrow. You could. You can meet God for judgment tomorrow. The best day to let Jesus save you is always today. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a a final song here just in a minute. And for those of you that you just need to let Jesus save you today, what I want you to do is I want you to let this be the day, and I want you to mark that moment somehow. And so during this final song, at any time during the song, people will be standing during the song. I want you to just kind of squeeze out of your seat, and I want you to walk down to the front right here in front of the stage. You don't have to come on stage, but just as a way to say, that's your leap of faith. That walk down, in a sense, is your leap of faith. Say, I believe that you saw all my sin and you died for me, and so I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm making the leap. And that's hard. It's hard to make the jump, right? But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. And some of you, you're just going to know in your heart that today is the day you make that leap and you let Jesus save you, okay? Okay. So we're going to sing this song, and at any time you can come forward, and then at the end of the service, I will just pray for anyone who's down here or all the people that are down here, and then I'll give you kind of some next steps for what to do. Does that sound good? Okay, let me, let me pray, and we'll sing that song. And at any time, you can just come, and God will forgive you, okay? All right, let me pray. God, thank you for sending your own son, that you saw all of our sin, 
our outward sin, our sins that we commit in the dark, in our minds, the sins that no one else even knows about, you saw them. And yet you were still willing to send your son to suffer for our sins. God, may we take the leap of faith and trusting in you. Holy Spirit, I pray for anyone in this room, any number of people that need to take that leap and come down to be saved, to be forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would lead them yourself down to the front so that they may know your salvation. God, we know that you can do that, and we ask that you do that in these next few minutes. It's in your name we pray. Amen.